You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 87 and 88 of the oral tradition. We're yeah. passing down the story of scripture from beginning to end. We're doing it in a year. And uh, you're listening to this, you're either reading along or you're just listening along, which is equally as valid. Correct. So we are... Um, Deep into the book of Numbers, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. So many cool stories buried in this book. Oh, man. So, let's yeah. do our... Catch us up. ...reading for today. Uh, our reading in Numbers starts in chapter 23, verse 27, through chapter 27, verse 11. So... That was nice. I like that. Yeah. Questioning. There's something to come. That's what the music was saying. So Balak, king of Moab, is hired Balaam to curse the people of Israel. So far, Balaam has instead announced God's blessing, or at least stated the truth of God's blessing over Israel. And the truth being, I'm with them. I'm keeping my promises to them. And then in the third and fourth blessing... And, yeah, so now we're moving into the third and fourth oracles of Balaam. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So Balak is super frustrated at this point. Uh, the, the second oracle, God was stated, he's, his mind cannot be changed, basically, That's because right. the whole point of this exercise is to try to get the God to change his mind. And Balaam, or God is saying, I am not one of those, I do not do that. Right. And so Balak is like, okay, well, I'm going to take you to another spot because he keeps taking him to different locations, trying to be like, well, the first one was he saw a lot of the Israelites. And he's like, maybe he's overwhelmed by their numbers. Let's move him to a place that he can only see a fraction of the Israelites. Now he's taking him to a place where he's like, okay, don't even look at them. Look at the wilderness that they're in right. and curse them there. And this is where Balaam now, after dropping the fact that God is with them, that God is keeping his promises. And then the third oracle is he will destroy anyone who gets in their way. Yeah. So they are victorious. This completely. one's fascinating because this one says the spirit of God came upon Balaam. Right. Like it fills Balaam. And now he just starts prophesying um, whose eyes have been opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and sees the vision of the Almighty and is like, uh, anyone who comes against these people will be destroyed. Right. Blessed are those who bless them, and cursed are those who curse them, which is an ancient uh, word of the Lord to Abraham. When Abraham is being promised a multitude, he's like, you will be blessed, and anybody who blesses you is blessed, and anyone who curses you is cursed. So he brings that up to say to Balak, look, man, if you're trying to curse these people, you are inviting a curse on yourself. Yeah, and Balak's response is claps his hands yeah he's enough so he's like stop it you keep saying things like how blessed are their tents and how blessed you keep blessing them mm-hmm. please shut up but then they go again there's a no. final is there a final oracle or there is, is a final oracle but this one doesn't he doesn't do anything he doesn't set up the altars he doesn't he balaam said he's still in the spirit and says didn't i not tell you i can only say what god told me to say right and then he immediately just falls into another 
prophecy. And this is a, a legit, real, like, focusing of the prophecy in Genesis where the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Yeah. Like this is where the camera lens just gets a huge focus by a guy that is not really that focused. It's funny, like Balaam is kind of a confusing character, but he turns the little lens and says, there's a star that shall come out of Jacob. Oh man, yeah, his words are so intense. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Yeah. Woo! So this is where uh, the focusing is. The star is going to rise. Star of David. The star of David. And then the star that leads... The Magi mm-hmm. to uh, straight to Jesus Christ, whose rule, his scepter will never fail. Mm-hmm. So, I do always want to point out that most prophecies have always like two Meanings. fulfillments: a now and a later. Yeah, and so and a later. There's and, like three of them. Yeah, so like this one, it's it is foretelling of David, and David does wipe out the Moabites mm-hmm. and. Um, Edom and all of them, and mm-hmm. but then it's also even further again saying this will be fully fulfilled with Jesus. And Jesus Christ does it on a bigger level, both yes. spiritual and physical kingdoms. But essentially, Balaam is saying again, blessing these people, saying mm-hmm. the future belongs to God and to these people, and nothing can and, change that. Nothing then, can thwart the movement of these people. And then he in turn curses Balak. Yeah. Uh, which who was who he was hired for, and so this is a confusing character. But again, we have to remember that if God could speak through a donkey, yeah. God yeah. could speak through a heathen pagan soothsayer as well. Right, and I think that's for the people, the original audience. They're realizing God spoke through a donkey mm-hmm. in this uh, scene, and that's why He can speak through Balaam. Right, and He can speak through a burning bush, and He can speak through whatever. Because wherever he puts his voice. We do think, so like at the end of this narrative, you start to think like, okay, so Balaam was actually kind of a good guy. Yeah, until chapter 25. He was not. um, I'm going to spoil, like we don't necessarily read this portion. Well, here, let me me introduce it then you, because I had that question. Where does it say this? Yeah. Where does it say Balaam did this? But in chapter 25, the people... Somehow, it's like the very first verse in chapter 25, they start to whore themselves with the daughters of Moab. Mm -hmm. So Moab kind of goes about it differently. Instead of by a sword, they begin to infiltrate the people with a simple invitation. Come worship our God, our fertility God, the Baal of Peor. And the way we worship is through sexuality Mm -hmm. and through uh, orgies. And so they played on the lusts of a group of Israelites yes. who then engaged it. They yeah. engaged with Moabite and Midianite women because remember, Midianites are kind of have taken over the Moabites. That's why Balak, who's a Midianite, mm-hmm. is king of Moab. Mm-hmm. And so the it's like, what do you call that kind of warfare? Um, it's like a, oh. almost like with a chemical warfare, almost. Like it's a lust warfare and it infiltrates the people. Anyway. It is spiritual. It's a, like, it's a very... Emotional, and, spiritual. And the confusion is, too, these are all kind of rel- like distant cousins. So mm-hmm. Moab, Moabites, Moab. remember, are the product of an ancestral relationship between Lot and his daughters. Yeah. And then the Midianites 
are from are from Abraham and his second wife Keturah. and are more interested in power. So it's mm-hmm. like the Midianites are using the weakness of the Moabites mm-hmm. to get in and curse the Israelites. Yes. See, this is how the enemy always works now. Once he realizes he can't defeat us militarily or straight face to face, he gets into our hearts and our minds and tries to unite us with a different God. Yeah. And the best way to unite people, I mean, honestly, it's a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. And that's sexual union yeah. where you are in the act of procreation or sexual intimacy, you are combining the blessings and the curses of two people. And so they're combining the blessing of Israel with yeah. the curses of Moabite women mm-hmm. or Midianite women. Mm-hmm. And so that's how, um, that's like one of the only ways you could really mess up the blessing of God's people is for them to choose to unite themselves and take on the curses of those women. Yeah, so the Israelites now are choosing to curse themselves. And, I mean, that's like one of these ideas that, like a curse that God cannot protect us from or is one that we ch- freely choose to engage yes, in. Yes, when you choose to engage it, you need to repent and ask God to wipe it out. Um, now, and, we should say, too, the Baal, the, the lure of this lust is fertility. Yeah. And you're in the desert, you're starting to get land that can grow things, you want rains to fall, and apparently these gods would um, fight for you and, mm-hmm. and allow things to be blessed, but then you'd have to keep fighting. Every season, there's a new opportunity for death, and so mm-hmm. then it was like, you're constantly going to be engaging something that is mixing procreation, and see, procreation is confusing, right? Yep. Because, oh, we're, we're being fertile, but it's a total... Um, confusion and misunderstanding, which is the enemy's greatest tool, is to confuse the words, yeah. did God really say you can't eat from this tree? Did God really say you can't use sexual union as a way to get fertility from him? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, yes, he really did say don't do this. And so as a result... So the Lord is angry, and yes. a plague starts sweeping through... Uh, the people engaged in this activity. Mm-hmm. And the Lord tells Moses, gather all the chiefs of the people who are engaged in this and impale them in front of everyone. And hang them, right? Yeah, that's yeah, hang means impale. Oh, good. Their okay. Their form when we think we think hanging like the noose, old west. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when they say hanging in the Bible, they mean impale on a pole. Ooh, like the serpent on a pole. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus on a cross. Yeah. Anyways, well, uh, it is also dropped. So then, while this is happening... Don't forget Balaam had something to do with this. Okay. That's your original point. Yeah, well, okay, that's fine. Or does that... You say what you want to say? I didn't really forget about Balaam. No, I wasn't... I I trust you. forget about Balaam. Okay, go go Uh, with what you're saying. So, while this is happening, in front of Moses and Aaron and the leadership, a... (laughs) leader of the tribe of Simeon, and it seems like Simeon, the tribe of Simeon was were spearheading this whole movement, uh, is taking one of the Midianite women into his tent in front of them. Right. People saw like, him... Like, walking in to, to his, his tent. his tent. His family saw... Everyone saw it's him, a, and he's just going to... It's just part engage of... Engage yeah. in this lust, and, and is brazen about it. And so, Phineas, Aaron's grandson... Is filled with the anger of the Lord, and this is pretty hardcore, but he grabs a spear, runs into the tent, and spears both of them. In the act. In the act. Through their bellies. And the moment he does, the plague that was going through the camp stops. Right. 
Because, and then... After 24,000 died. Yeah, 24,000. And again, I, the idea is that it's the tribe of Simeon. So the tribe of Simeon is like cut in half remind this us, moment. Rem, let's remind everybody, Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi. This is a, such the, a fascinating incident. So, the original sons Yeah, the original, incident. The original sons abused a covenant sign of the Lord's circumcision to get revenge and slaughter a whole town um, because this guy had raped his their sister. Dinah. Dinah. And God, through Jacob, cursed the tribes and the lineage of Simeon and Levi. Levi, the tribe of Levi, was blessed for killing everyone at the who was worshiping the golden calf. That's right. And they redeemed themselves by protecting a covenant sign of God. And now we see the tribe of Levi and Simeon separating themselves further from one another, whereas Phineas, a Levite, right. runs in and and kills <laughs> a, a, a leader of the tribe of Simeon. So God redeems, stop God redeems the Levites yeah. from that incident where they abused the covenant mm-hmm. sign of circumcision. But Simeon has not been redeemed. Not yet. at all. And they're still falling into the same old like mixing and using all kinds of worship to get what they want. Exactly. And so, yes. And so Phineas the Levite, yeah. in his new redemptive purposes as a priest, mm-hmm. kills and protects the uh, honor yeah. and the true religion, the true yes. worship of God. Yeah, so very fascinating story. Um, we later find out that this whole incident was happened because it was based on the advice of Balaam. Straight, after, yeah, straight from the donkey's mouth. After not being able to successfully curse the people, he still wanted some of that money and said, look, I can't curse them directly. The only way you can get them to be cursed is if you send your women in to seduce them and worship another god then a curse of God will fall on them. And I remember that, and I was like, but it doesn't say that. It says it later. And later, God, I found it. God, and that's the other thing, is like when we're seeing all of this from Balaam's perspective, we're like, who, what? And you have to remember, Moses is speaking to God face to face, and God is informing Moses, this is what's going on behind the scenes. There's so more in, going on. In Numbers 31, it'll be brought up that Balaam, it's on Balaam's advice, that if you want to really hurt these people... Like, bite their heels. Here's one way to to get them. You can't crush them head on. Right. But you can seduce them and uh, ruin ruin their relationship with God and take away their power and kind of muddy the waters, so to speak. And then, because of Phineas's zeal for God, uh, God then establishes that from Phineas's line directly, the high priesthood will be established. Through Phineas. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Grandson so that, of Aaron. That clears up any future arguments. I also, my mind went to, um, when Jesus clears the temple, the verse they always use is about his zeal for God's house. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about Jesus, our high priest, like yeah. cleansing the temple. Yeah. Like, of Similar to Phineas. The confusion. The next Of high worshiping priest. other gods. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And the mixing of materialism and mm-hmm. all that stuff with the true God of the universe. So you got the cleansing, 24,000 die. So now we get into the, after the plague, God says, all right, 
we have this new generation. Let's take another census of the new gen. Yeah, chapter 26. And this is where typically I'd, I'd fall asleep and be like, oh, what is this all about? But this time I found it fascinating that oh, nice. I engaged the numbers mm-hmm. um, because it's been 40 years now and everyone is dying. Mm-hmm. All the original people are pretty much dead. So it's they time. They are all dead. We've cleansed this little uh, uprising and now it's time to count and see who's going to enter the promised land, cross the Jordan. And, but it also says um, they do this for the reason of who gets what land. Like mm-hmm. the bigger the tribe, the more land you need. The smaller, yeah. the less land you need. But this is like um, where they set up how much you're going to need, which is very important. And Simeon, just what you find out is you go through the numbers and you see like, okay, Reuben's down... 3,000. Mm-hmm. Simeon, though, is down from the initial count of like 59,000 to 22,000. Yeah. They're down. Simeon now is is losing, whereas the they're, Levites... They're now the smallest tribe. Whereas the Levites actually are more than them, Yeah, but they count. They don't count from 20 years upward. They mm-hmm. count from 30 days yeah. of being alive upward. So, But Simeon's gone down. Gad has gone down. But Judah has gotten more numbers. Issachar's mm-hmm. up. Zebulon's up, mm-hmm. Manasseh's up, um, I have Benjamin being up, Dan, Asher. So more than like half the tribes have somehow increased in number yeah. through 40 years of wandering and surviving all the plagues and the death that happened in the wilderness. And I was thinking too, like they died in the wilderness not from normal causes. They were protected from the weather and the mm-hmm. starvation and the animals. Instead, they died by disobeying God pretty much face-to-face, like Mm -hmm. in the face of his presence. Yet, God promised to bless these people, and so they go in. um, I think they go in. Their original number I have is like 601,000. That sounds right. Or the original number was 603,000, and they're at 601,000. So they're not far from what they started with, Mm -hmm. which is a miracle. And it's I think God takes the census to encourage them, to say, now we're going to get ready to divide the land, and, but I want you to know, we haven't died. You keep saying, you brought us out here to kill us. Mm-hmm. And I know you've lost a lot of people, and it feels like we're dead. But actually, we're just as strong and stronger than when we started, even right. though we're down a couple thousand, which is nothing when you think in terms of 600,000. Yeah. Yes. Uh, God keeps his promises to bless his people, even in the desert. And... Is that that gets us through kind of a big section of numbers that was going through the list? Yeah, so that was chapter twenty six. The again, they restate that everyone from the old generation was had died except for Caleb and Joshua. And then Moses is still and Moses alive is still point. going. So there's three. And then, then we have this really cool incident um, of the daughters of Zelophehad. Zelophehad. Yeah, I say Zelophehad. 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 Say it quickly. Uh, which is, they're from the tribe of Manasseh. And so this guy died, um, Zelo, is how I'm going to yeah. call him. Good old Zelo. Big Z. He died having no male heirs. Right. And so his daughters do something that's really cool. Like, they're really bold. And they... It's fascinating. They they go... They go before Moses. They Instead of... and. What, what was fascinating to me is they didn't fall into 
the trap of just complaining mm-hmm. and saying, look, we're all girls. We're not going to get any inheritance. Mm-hmm. And then if we marry somebody from a different tribe, those guys are all going to fight over our land because mm-hmm. they're from different tribes. So they went before God, the tent of meeting, and Moses, and they said, Moses, what do we do? Um, we're all girls. Mm-hmm. And so Moses brings it before the Lord, and God says, the girls are right. Like God actually says, the girls are right. Yeah, because they said they clearly said, this is what we want. We want the possession of our father's land, and we don't want his name to die out. Yeah. So God ordains this and says, go for it. Give them the land. Give them the possession. They get to choose their husbands. They get to keep their father's name, and the land belongs to them and and their descendants. Incredibly rare in any culture around the world at this time Mm -hmm. for women to even have a voice and then for the God to hear them and empower them in this way is really remarkable. It shows the heart of our God. Yeah. But you know what it shows me too is that God's heart is for women. It's Mm -hmm. for all people. But God is so connected to the inheritance that he has provided for them. Yeah. That he's like, I'm going, and he lists all the different ways. Like, it's almost like, you know, if the president dies, Mm -hmm. this person's, and it goes down a hundred, hundred times. He does this, like here, the brother's brother or the the girl will get this and we're going to keep it in because he wants us to be with him in the promised inheritance the inheritance that he secured for this tribe and for their generations. Mm-hmm. And so even if there's no men, we will keep it there. And this is, this is at least the first place I see um, so far in our reading, the idea of the kinsman redeemer. Because mm-hmm. so, so it says at the end of this section, like mm-hmm. it'll go to the nearest kinsman, assuming also that the year of Jubilee is going to be well, upheld. Yeah, and it, it is referenced in, in, in Levite when oh, they good. were... Okay. If I someone went that. went into debt, the their nearest mm. family member had the chance to uh, buy them out, redeem them. There's mm-hmm. all these means of redemption mm-hmm. now, like even with the firstborn through the Levites, and um, to redeem a lost promise or a broken promise by us, God yeah. redeems it. Yeah. No matter how, by death or by sin or by theft, God will redeem what has been taken from you. And that's cool. kind of what I see um, in this in this uh, incident with the daughters of Zelophehad. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, numbers. Love it. Moving on to the New Testament. Well, we're leaving the wilderness with uh, numbers and with youth and with hope and promise and inheritance. So that moves us into our New Testament reading. Mm-hmm. New Testament reading is Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through verse 50. So Jesus just healed the centurion's servant. Oh, yeah, with the word. With just a word. Yeah, so great. And then we get a fun little story that we have not gotten in any of the other Gospels yet. (laughs) Oh, yeah, this one. Uh where Jesus is traveling to this little town and sees a funeral procession. And it's for this widow. Her husband's died, and now her oldest, her one son, her only son is dead. And Jesus just walks up in the middle of this funeral procession and stops it and touches the... uh, The pallbearers. The pallbearer. Right. 
who is unclean because mm-hmm. he's been touching a dead body. Again, Jesus, not afraid to touch unclean things mm-hmm. and not afraid to enter the temple after doing so. Mm-hmm. But there's two things. Oh, first, this story is only recorded in Luke. I think so, yes. So many amazing things happened that the other writers just didn't have time to even think about this one. Yes. I mean, they're recording yes. all sorts of great miracles, but there's such an abundance of mm-hmm. miracles that, oh, this one, we don't have time to mention it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I thought that was fascinating. And then what I thought was fascinating was Jesus is the new and better Elijah. Yes. Because this happened, and he even, I think Luke records him talking to his hometown. You remember he says, Elijah had to go outside of Israel to that widow. There are tons of widows that he could have mm-hmm. blessed. Was that in reference to the widow who um, Elijah restored and brought back to life? The, her son? so, yes. And so here's Jesus acting like Elijah. And Jesus has com- not only the power to bring someone back from the dead, but he's moved not by his um, grasp for power or try to prove that he's the son of God, but he's moved by his compassion. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not right. I weep when people are touched by death. Mm-hmm. And I weep because we were not created for death. And I weep because God has all power over death. Come with me to God. Yeah. And there's times where his divine nature breaks through his human nature, but it's all driven by his grace and his compassion. It doesn't even act, he doesn't even act like he knows this lady, doesn't owe it to her, not a friend. He's just like, this is not right. And I am here to tell you, we are no longer captive to death. Mm-hmm. Sit up, he says, arise. And this guy raises up, like we imagine a coffin. I don't know how they're holding the body. Yeah. But he sits up, and it's not just like a muscle memory, like a muscle memory, like uh, like you cut a head off a chicken and its body still moves, mm-hmm. because he speaks. Yeah. yeah. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> There's actually a uh, Twilight Zone that has... That is, is, Similar to this, where uh, a boy resurrects from the dead, mm-hmm. and they probably took it off the Bible story, mm-hmm. but it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting episode because everybody's terrified to hug him or talk mm-hmm. to him. They're like, "What is going on here?" Mm-hmm. And they all get mad at the doctor. Like, I thought he was dead, and he was truly dead. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that kind of hits me on this is mm-hmm. the idea, and this is just my imagination. Yeah. And of Jesus seeing this. And recognizing and identifying with her pain and understanding that he's about to go through the yeah, same thing. The only good. son is going to die. And it. I think we emotionally distance ourselves from like, <laughs> what that felt like for Jesus and like knowing what was going to happen. And, and we just think he's like on this like stoic march. Right. But recognizing the sorrow and the pain that comes with death and recognizing the loss of an only son and what that means for those who are left behind and just, like, really moved. Like, the word compassion in in the Bible means his gut was moved. Yeah. Yeah. And and he goes, like, he cannot help himself but raise the son back up from the dead. I love it. Anyways, next story. Yeah, because it's just one of many tucked in to some great scenes. Uh, then the next story Which... is after resurrection is now John the Baptist in jail starts hearing about all these things and 
he's like, is this really the Messiah? Is mm-hmm. he really the one? And at first you're going, why would he even ask that? But he's asking it the way I would ask it, which is, you know, if you're the savior of the world and I'm friends with you and I'm in jail, I'm yeah. like, hey, boss, <laughs> like, you can't get me out of jail? Like, I'm hearing all this stuff, but why am I in jail? Yeah. This makes no... Is he really the guy? Because I think jail, like, would be the easiest thing to break. And I hear he's breaking people out of death. Yeah. So why am I rotting here? I feel like a failure. I feel like my life is a waste. I Mm -hmm. dressed up and I ate locust and put on uncomfortable camel hair or something, lived in the desert to pronounce and and announce this guy, and I'm in jail. Mm -hmm. And that's where Jesus drops the prophecy that he read, his first sermon, or the sermon at home, I guess, when he just read Isaiah, where it's like, Um, you know it. Yeah, proclaim the good news to the poor, Mm -hmm. bind up the brokenhearted, uh, give sight to the blind, free the oppressed. Preach. The good news is preached to them, and Mm -hmm. blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so he basically tells the disciples, go back and tell John, the insider quote that should make sense. Well, the cool thing is in the other ones, this is the third time we're reading this story, but in this one, yeah. it actually says when they ask the question, Jesus doesn't answer and just goes about and heals and uh, exercises and does all these things. He proclaims. He does the act. He does in the front act. Of the, in front of John's disciples right. and then says, go back and tell him what you've seen. What you've seen and heard. Yeah. Love it. What a great moment yeah just go be a you know and then uh because you, you can't fight with testimony like you can't yeah. fight with testimony if someone says i believe in god well i don't believe in god well it changed my life i used to be blind now i have sight mm-hmm. what are you going to do with that you can't yeah. argue that exactly so then we have again jesus defends john's identity yeah and reminds everyone of who he really is and was and what he came to do and then he uh, corrects and validates like the people who were baptized by John. He validates them, saying like he's the real deal. And then the people who refused and rejected John's message, he basically condemns. And uh, and, and he says, look, no one's greater than John. John is the mm-hmm. greatest Old Testament prophet because he announced the now and the future. Right. He got to announce Jesus Christ is here now and. Jesus Christ will reign forever mm-hmm. as a good prophet. So he's the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, filled with the Holy Spirit in, in his mother's womb, announcing and untying the shoes of Jesus Christ himself. But then Jesus says, yet yeah, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Mm-hmm. So all of us who now are raised knowing about Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, partaking of his body and blood and his resurrection power starting now, we are greater in the kingdom than even John. Which is hard to believe sometimes. It's hard to believe, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, the Old Testament, John's the greatest. Now that I'm here and after I finish my work, the least of you will be greater than John because you get to announce in its fullness the work of Christ, not only in what he's going to do, but what he's done in mm-hmm. and around your life. And they were amazed. <laughs> yeah. And then he kind of uh, downplays. He says, look, you guys are like children... At a, at a marketplace saying, we played the flute for you and we did, and we did, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. And he's relating that to, look, you guys threw away John the Baptist saying, oh, 
he has a demon because he's not eating, he's drinking no wine, he's out in the desert. And then the Son of Man came and he's eating and drinking and partying with tax collectors and you're like, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And so Jesus' final beautiful this. tagline is, wisdom is justified by all her children. I love that. So I look love at, that look at what it produces. Mm-hmm. And Jesus Christ produces faith every generation since. There's more than 12 Mm -hmm. disciples now. There's millions and millions of people Mm -hmm. have been produced by the wisdom of Christ um, and we're justified by our children. Like, it's like the fruit from the tree, you know? Yeah, and I always see it as the range, like validating the range of God's children. So Mm -hmm. you can be a hardcore aesthetic or ascetic like Mm -hmm. John or... uh, (laughs) joyful like uh, recovering like, tax collector like drunkard. man of the people <laughs> yeah like uh well like that's Jesus. that's the next story and i love that so like the very next story mm-hmm. in chapter oh it's continuing in verse 36 yeah is a ridiculous story about going to a pharisee's house yeah and Just... a known woman of the city mm-hmm. a prostitute I was always thinking, too, she's very comfortable to walk into the Pharisee's house. I don't know if that's a cultural thing or if she knew her way around. (laughs) But the Pharisee, like, knew who she was. They all knew that she was... And no one stops her. No one stops her. And she does, in light of, you know, we've washed some people's feet. Yeah, In light of doing that. This is, makes what we've done, like, we can kind of feel proud. Like, oh, I washed people's feet. But no. What we've done is nothing compared to this prostitute who understands who Jesus is and her great need. She goes into this party, mm-hmm. already feeling awkward, uninvited, judged. And the idea is she starts crying, undoes her hair, which is right. your apparently you could divorce a woman for undoing her hair in public. Yeah. So she's a disgrace. She's a wreck. She's crying and she pours out ointment, this sweet smelling perfume, and starts washing. And kissing the feet of Jesus. Which is the knowing, grossest thing you yeah, could possibly do. <laughs> I know. Like, I was thinking about this. And I think this was the first time that this hit me. Because, I, you know, I you know. grow up hearing this story all the time. Kissing. And she's, like, using her hair to dry the feet off. Their feet are filthy. They're yeah. walking around in sandals at best. And if not, just bare feet. And they don't have a great sewage plan for the little village. <laughs> The animals kind of go wherever they want. Mostly everything is dirt and sand and just filth. And so, like, common custom was to, like, wash someone's feet when they entered your house. Right. But apparently this Pharisee did not do that. And to welcome them, and kissing like, with their... A, with a kiss on the cheek, and that was, like, a, a handshake. Yeah. Like, And then you had, um, if the guest was really special, you would give them some oil to, like... Uh, freshen up. To freshen Snow up. Good. Yeah. Well, like when I've done these trips to Guatemala, you're walking through their village, and um, when I come back home, I remember the feeling of taking my dog out, and my dog is going to the bathroom on grass, Mm -hmm. and I'm picking it up. Right. And I was just in a place where animals, pigs, dogs, everything, they're just going everywhere, and it's all dusty, and there's little little trash heaps. You could smell burning trash Mm -hmm. everywhere. And here I am in my, like, suburban neighborhood, and I remember feeling the contrast going... This is, wow, yeah. this is a completely different experience. And then when we've washed feet, I mean, we barely actually touch the real feet. Yeah, We would do it with a towel because people are nervous about their feet. Uh, your feet stink. Your feet grow. You know, she's kissing their feet. Mm-hmm. Would you kiss my feet? 
at our Maundy Thursday? Would no. you wash? No? Okay. Sorry. Well, not yet. That's why. Uh, <laughs> that's why you I think haven't that's, sinned enough. No, that's why, like, Luke, I think, highlights this woman. Like, again, women yeah. and the marginalized are being highlighted in Luke's gospel, and it's so beautiful. And God and Jesus, because uh, this is what's interesting, is Simon, the mm-hmm. Pharisee, is thinking, like, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he would not let her touch him because he's now unclean. He's unclean? Because and, she's unclean. And he can get, like, okay, so in our culture now, lines get blurry with mm. between women and men. Yeah. And he's like, why is he interacting with her at all? She could accuse him yeah. of being a man who visits someone like Or everyone's yeah. like, oh, how, does, how come yeah. she's so comfortable? Jesus. Right. Jesus must have visited her. Uh. And so this guy is going, I don't even know if I can have Jesus in my house now. Yeah. And, and Jesus addresses it, again, just reading the room. I have something to say to you, Simon. He's like, who, uh, two men have a debt, 500 denarius and 50 denarius, and they're both forgiven. And, uh, and the denarius is? A day's wage. Days, 500 days wage. You're set for a year, two years and a half. That's yeah, it. yeah. So, again, you have like two uh, months. A year and a half. Yeah, two months and a, and a little over a year. Right. And that's, that's a lot. It is. And he says, who is going to appreciate that more, the canceling of debts? Uh, the guy with uh, 500. Yeah. Right. You, you are correct. Um, You've judged rightly. And then so he says, um, he basically challenges this guy saying, you didn't, you didn't anoint, you didn't wash my feet, you didn't give me any, you didn't greet me with a kiss, and you didn't anoint my head mm. with oil. And, but this woman has gone above and beyond any of that. Yeah. Uh, to, and then he drops, Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he says to her, You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Which is a thing that only God can do. Whew. Jesus is God. And that is amazing. Again, people are... They get flummoxed by, how can he forgive her? Yes. Um, and the cool thing is, apparently, in the original Greek, it says, her, your sins stand forgiven. Yeah. Meaning, they've already been forgiven. Like, meaning, he's probably already met her and forgiven her. And he's reminding her, your sins are still forgiven. That does not stop. Which is why she came... Mm-hmm. And was kissing his feet yeah. and doing. All- she wasn't doing this to gain salvation. No. She was doing this as a response to, to Jesus', Jesus pronouncement of forgiveness. of forgiveness. And so, you're, I agree. With, she came out of a response, and that's the faith. Mm-hmm. So she's not saved because she did this and then got mm-hmm. rewarded. She's saved because she knew how much has been forgiven. She she was just responding to. God's salvation. And the closer you get to God, mm-hmm. you know, the more you realize you are in need of forgiveness. Yes. So, like, you might, uh, there's been times in my life where I feel good. Like, oh, I'm not doing my little pet sins. <laughs> but the closer and the more I learn about God's holiness and righteousness, the more magnificent it is, but also the more condemning it is. Like, I am so far. Like, I have not loved God with my whole heart, soul, and mind. And the more I engage that repentance, the sweeter the absolution is. The more I'm forgiven, the more I love. And so it is kind of a counterintuitive way in your desire to grow in love for Christ, mm-hmm. you go through repentance because you start to realize all the great effort he's done for you in ways you are 
at this point unaware of. Right. And that produces more love. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She believes she's forgiven. Where sin increases, grace abounds, man. Mm. And it doesn't mean we go out and sin more so that we can get grace. God forbid. It means when you are confronted with the reality of the death in your mind and heart and soul, and you cry out to Jesus, you receive his love, and your love for him and others grows. Pretty Mm -hmm. great. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us. And thank you, I don't have to kiss feet. But maybe if I understood how much I'm forgiven, maybe I would. (laughs) So in light of recognizing, taking a moment to recognize our, our sin and and how much we've sinned against God. I'm going to read the first part of Psalm 38, 1 through 12, written by David for the memorial offering that they would give to God. To remember what he's done? To remember what he's done for them and how he's rescued them despite their sins. And so this first part is David recognizing his full depravity before God. Sweet, let's hear it. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.